the Drunk on Light podcast, the podcast that is here to remind you that there is always light at the end of the tunnel, even in the darkest of moments, to tell you that you are not alone. This podcast is for the creative who wants to share their passion with the world, for the feminist who is looking for a community of badass women, for the one who is healing, for the light worker who wants to heal the world, and for the one who loves all things spirituality. I'm your host, Aisha Noor, and I'm a poet, mental health advocate, feminist, and spiritual junkie. Together, we'll be breaking barriers, smashing stigmas, learning light lessons, and keeping it real. light lovers and welcome back to the drunk on light podcast the podcast that is here to remind you that there is always light even in the darkest of moments today we're going to switch things up a little bit and we're going to welcome our first guest amanda murphy she is an intuitive eating coach so we're going to talk about intuitive eating and body acceptance and body neutrality and just a bunch of other yummy things Thank you so much for coming on and being willing to talk. Absolutely. So the first question I want to ask you, because you're also my first um, guest on the podcast, which is exciting, what would being drunk on light feel like or look like for you? And if you want some clarity on what I mean by drunk on light, um, just ask. Um, well, first, I'll just tell you what comes the first thing that comes to mind is being very immersed in the positive energy of, of the world of, um, you know, that earth has to offer. That's the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, light is a very positive, um, thing. Like when you think of light, you think of sunshine and, you know, bright colors and things like that. And, and, and it kind of goes hand in hand with positivity. So just like glowing and being radiant and just letting your inner, radiance shine that's the first thing that comes to mind for me yeah when I think of that it's about just every day trying to find even the smallest bit of light in your day so sometimes Mm -hmm. you know if you're struggling with depression it can be the smallest thing just like taking a shower that can be your one like sip of light for the day sometimes you don't have to be drunk on it every day but you should at least try or be able to just even the time that makes a huge difference yeah, to find the light and, and even some of the darkest days is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Like your most aligned or highest best self kind of most joyous moments? Um, absolutely. Just that, you know, tuning into myself and, and constantly asking myself what I need in, in any given moment to make sure that my needs are constantly being met so that I can be and perform at my best best performance be my best self because our needs change from you know day to day moment to moment so um really being in tune with ourselves is going to help us do that the best I feel like yeah um can you tell us a little bit about yourself how you got into intuitive eating and coaching and Yes, I am a certified intuitive eating counselor. Um, I have worked with the um, registered dietitians who actually developed intuitive eating to become certified as a counselor. Um, And honestly, I found myself here after years of chronic dieting, yo-yo dieting. Um, I I mean, it goes back as far as I can remember even being 
10, 12 years old, thinking horrible things about my body, comparing myself to girls at school and, um, you know, bullying my body for years. Um, and after the years went on, trying every diet under the sun, I just got to a point where I, I cracked. Um, and I always joke and laugh because it kind of happened um, one night over ravioli, um, which I love ravioli. And, um, you know, I, I had counted all my macros for the day, tracked everything like diet culture tells us to, and I was supposedly supposed to be done eating for the day. Came home to find that ravioli was made. And I was so upset and mad that I couldn't, you know, as they say, eat the ravioli. I broke, I ate the ravioli, and then the guilt kept flooding in. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten the ravioli, all this. And I just, in that whirlwind of a moment, broke down and said, this cannot be the way to live life. Like deep down, you know, I always knew that this was not the way to live. And, um, you know, I do... I, I'm not gonna remember the name of the author, but there's this book called Secrets of Secrets from the Eating Lab. And in that whirlwind of feeling like there has to be a different way to live life, like I cannot be this miserable with with my relationship with my body and with food, I found that book. It was actually recommended to me, and it really sheds a lot of light on um, the truth behind diet culture and dieting and what it does to our body. And it totally opened my eyes. And, you know, I continued on this path of if I feel this way, I know I cannot be the only one. And if I can finally come to this, you know, journey of a different way of living and healing my relationship with food and healing my relationship with my body, I want to help other women going through the same thing on their journey to healing their relationship with food and their body. And so I started digging into intuitive eating. I read the book. Um, I found out that they offered a certification program. I'm already an allied health professional. Um, and I dove right into the certification program and fast forward, here I am. That's so cool. I was literally just going to ask you what your aha moment was. And then you said it for me. <laughs> yes, it was ravioli. <laughs> Mine was actually like, um, you know how, on in these days, all the new things that we learn are from social media. Like I have, mm -hmm. um, you know, body positivity all over Instagram, but I never really thought it applied to me. And I don't know why, maybe because I was just so used to being so deeply unhappy with my body that I was just like, oh, you know, you'll lose weight, you'll be fine kind of thing until I went to a plus size, um, there was like a panel about, um, you know, what, plus size bloggers. And so I went and just listening to them talk and just realizing that, holy shit, that's a nice, first of all, that plus size is a nicer term for the derogatory things I would be thinking to myself, you know, like overweight, yeah. fat, or just, you know, so many terrible things. Realizing that applied to me, that it was a kind of word that somebody that looks like me is sitting up on that stage and talking about how much she loves herself, that she loves her body, that she loves her life, that she still can work out and she can be a roller derby skater and all of these really cool things and a model and just living life and loving it. I was like, wow, okay. That really like woke me up to it. And that was yeah. a wake up moment. And I started following um, by a bunch of body positive um, people on Instagram and that's how I found you and um, slowly trying to like learn how to like myself more and I can't put really like a point A to B of 
my journey and how I've come to like, like myself. I still have days where I don't, but what about you? When did you start to feel like, okay, yeah, I love my body. Oh boy. Well, you know, every day is a new challenge and I don't think you're ever really, there's not like a day and night version where one day you're, you know, you're self-loathing and the next day you're self-loving. It's you, you always kind of find yourself in the middle and um, at least for me, I do. And, you know, I have to work every day um, to, to self-accept and self-love my body um, depending on what, you know, what happens if I'm, you know, at a, at the store trying to find a new outfit while well, I'm going to be faced with a lot more challenges if I'm sitting in my comfy clothes on the couch all day. Um, you know, so it's really navigating through the challenges that you face every day um, with an open mind and, and gentleness for yourself and realizing that there are going to be hard days and building that support system around you, I think is, is key. You know, when you have women around you who, you know, love their body unconditionally and you can lean on them for support in your weak moments, that is very helpful because it's, it's hard to walk into a room of women who don't look like you or don't, there's not a lot of diversity and they love their body, but you don't love, you know, you're having a day where you don't love your body. You know, it, it's, it's hard if you don't have that support and you don't anticipate challenges because then you're not prepared. Um, and if you're having a day where it's very hard to love your body and to speak kindly to your body, I often suggest just speaking neutrally to your body, you know, looking at it as, well, my body is healthy. You know, my body is free of illness today, things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of tips and tricks and it's very individualized. Um, but no day looks the same. Yeah, because I've heard of um, body neutrality and I wasn't entirely sure what it is. Is it something along the lines of like not hating at or not loving, just being like okay with your body? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is hard to go from, you know, completely self-loathing for years to completely self-loving. I mean, it's a, especially depending on how long and how severe you've been in the diet culture mentality. Um, but, you know, body neutrality does mean a lot of things. And one of them is that, you know, being very neutral to your body, just knowing that it is healthy and, and it's not, you know, body neutrality too is also, you know, kind of like when you were talking about the plus size, like as it being like a nicer term and, you know, body neutrality is like, there isn't labels. We don't have to put, you know, skinny versus plus size or, you know, small versus large. It's, it's more of like keeping it neutral and not putting the labels on body sizes to begin with oh uh, so like you know your body is your body and comparing it to others it's not going to make a difference because it's not going to change how you are absolutely absolutely you know and i think we, we've come a long way but we have so far to go and even you know yeah you see people who are in you know the limelight like ashley graham and stuff like that who have you know a very different um, body size and shape than the average, but we're still calling them plus size models, you know, and there's a lot of labeling still going on, even though it's nicer um, than where it's been. We still have a lot to, long way to go, I feel like. And I feel like once we stop using the term plus size model versus your normal quote, quote model, you know, we got to break those things down as well because it, it's still labeling. Even within, um, you know, plus size, people argue that, for instance, Ashley Graham, that she is curvy and not like plus size, plus size. She's like the pretty 
plus size as opposed mm-hmm. to you know actually having roles and stuff like that is that what do you think about that Oh, absolutely. There is a lot of that going on too. Like, even though we're moving towards this body positive um, way of accepting everybody, there's still its own issues in and of the whole movement. And that is one of them. You know, if you, if you it's kind of like they're only accepting women of larger bodies. Um, you know, if you do look like Ashley Graham, so to say, you know, the curvy hourglass type shape, but not all of us look like that. Um, so again, it kind of goes back to the body neutrality where, you know, all bodies are healthy, all bodies, well, can be healthy, all bodies, you know, are worthy and, and your shape and your size does not dictate. It doesn't matter how small or how large your body is. Yeah, it's just hard where even within a movement, um, when people are trying to like raise awareness for something and trying to help themselves and others, there is so much judgment because I found, and I've heard a lot of conversations about how women who are like maybe I don't even know what the sizes are depending on where we live but like a larger size like Tess Holiday the people who are of that size are hating on people who are um well I guess what would be considered thin and saying that that's I mean that's its own issue thin versus plus size and thin doesn't belong in body positivity positivity that's what people say but even hating on people in the plus size range of like, they're not as plus size as we are, so they don't really get it and all of these things. Oh, absolutely. And I love that you brought that up because it is something that shakes me to the core. And, um, you know, women in, you know, society standard body type, you know, thin women, you know, skinny women as whatever you want to call it, they still suffer from the same things that women in larger bodies do, the same guilt around food, the same shame of not liking what they look like when they look in the mirror, feeling the judgment, they go through all of the same things like self-doubt and anxiety and all of those emotions have no judgment and they are just as affected as women in larger bodies. And we do have to include all women in this movement or we're never going to see a change. We're just going to cause a new problem of, you know, for lack of better words, skinny versus fat or small versus large women. And that's not what we want either. So there's a lot of work to still be done Yeah, because in this movement. Yeah. Um, I was saying, um, like they say, you know, that you never know what's going on in someone's head, you know, because mm-hmm. be looking at skinnier bodies and being like, oh, you know, we feel bad about ours. We wish we looked like them. But I'm thinking that, you know, they have the ideal body and therefore like ideal, easier life. Whereas they could be waking up in the mornings and looking in the mirror and thinking the exact same thing about somebody else or Mm -hmm. unhappy in their own bodies. And this is something that comes up in feminism as well, is that we're not going to have change until we stop like beating each other up, that you're not the right kind of feminist. You're not, you know, women who choose to stay home as kids, people are seeing that as like anti-feminist when really that's not the issue. It's about choice, the expectation for women to stay home and, you know, um, be mothers is the issue, not them choosing to. So it's the same even within movements like this is if we're so busy, like judging each other that you're not the right kind, you're not the right size, blah, 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 for this movement, we're not going to get to the point of what we really want is for the others the outside world who are, you know, to like get with it. Yeah. I mean, instead of looking at it as we want to include everybody, it's, I guess it's 
it, I think it's better to look at it as you want to exclude nobody. I mean, if, yeah, like you hit the nail on the head, if we want a true body positive movement, if we want um, a true feminist movement, we have to include all women. No, no criteria, no questions asked. If you're a woman, you're included. End of story. Because just as there's like a hierarchy of or elitist class systems in every sense there's also i've noticed recently i felt like there's an elitist system of pain you know kind of like we're suffering more than you are so that's why ours is more valid or why we're more important or why we are allowed to have the louder voices in these movements oh yeah oh yeah and i actually the perfect example is i had a um a lady reach out to me on instagram and you know she was thanking me for my page and, and offering my words of wisdom but she was explaining to me her story of she's been battling with anorexia for years, but her friends and her family and her doctors even weren't taking her anorexic, you know, her anorexic illness seriously because she wasn't skinny enough. She wasn't underweight enough. That's what they were saying. So they literally denied her treatment that helped her. And it, it took her, she said she literally had to lose more weight for someone to take her seriously and get her the help that she needed for her anorexia. And, you know, pain looks all different. And we all go through the same exact things differently. So again, we, we cannot put judgment and we cannot put labels and exclusions and criteria on anything. We have to exclude no one and nothing. I cannot believe that's so crazy to me. Mm -hmm. I've had such similar moments where <clears throat> like with my mental health, with anxiety or depression, or sometimes when I'm really struggling, struggling and I'm in a suicidal kind of mindset. Um, and still like no one is, it's almost like, do I have to try something for you to get it, for you guys to understand, for you to like, let me get help. And it, it's devastating to think that I've ever even thought that, that, you know, I haven't been absolutely enough to actually do it to myself because I'm in pain, but because I feel like I have to prove that I'm in pain. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, that could be why we have the result of so many people getting to that point of committing suicide because they think that they have to do something drastic to get somebody to notice and unfortunately it ends horrifically or you know nobody is listening so they just say forget it I'm, I'm just gonna do it and it is it's very unfortunate <laughs> the things we learn some days it's just like what is the world coming to and no matter how much we try and fight like it's so exhausting <laughs> you know it is it is. I mean, we're definitely fighting a good fight and thankfully we're all not alone, but it is absolutely exhausting some days. Yes. So I wanted to move on to intuitive eating. If you could just tell us what that is about, what exactly. It is. Yes. Um, intuitive eating was developed by two registered dietitians um, several years ago. I think it's over 10 years now. Um, and what it is, is actually it puts the person in the driver's seat of their own body and their own journey. It's a unique and personal process of honoring your health, um, paying attention to the messages of your body um, and meeting your physical and emotional as well as um, uh, mental needs to really achieve optimal health. And obviously it surrounds, um, you know, eating habits, 
first and foremost, but there's a lot that plays into our eating habits when that has to come to emotions and your mental health. So it really looks at you as um, a holistic person. And there's 10 principles um, of intuitive eating and where you start and which principle you start with and how you work through them is individual to each person. Where did your intuitive eating journey start? Like what was the first step or when was the first moment that you realized, okay, I'm getting it. Or like the first guilt-free moment of being able to eat something without feeling complete shame or um, well, it's definitely still a work in progress. Um, but I think the first moment I really had where I felt I was getting intuitive eating is when one of my favorite things is jelly beans. And so Easter is always a, a fun time for me. Um, I literally sat down and ate a whole bag of jelly beans probably within an hour. And this is shortly after I started my intuitive eating journey. And I said to myself, you know what? I usually feel guilty right now and I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel okay. You know, cause I've been restricting a lot of foods. I have been restricting jelly beans for so long. I have not given myself permission to eat jelly beans for years. I'm going to give myself permission. I'm going to dive in and who cares that I ate the whole bag. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly, you know, die because I ate a whole bag of jelly beans. So life will go on and that's okay. And, you know, that was the first moment I realized, like, I'm just not, like, I'm just choosing to not have guilt around the foods that I eat. And, you know, I think people have this big misconception too, once is once they start intuitive eating and they give themselves unconditional permission to eat, that they're going to eat everything in sight and all, they're not going to be, you know, controllable as they say around food, like I'm going to go nuts. And, you know, there is kind of that period. And I know I definitely went through that period. But you have to think, you know, you've, how many foods have you been restricting and, and putting these foods on a pedestal because you've been restricting for so long that, you know, they, they have a heightened sense of um, desirability. And so now that you've given yourself unconditional permission to eat, of course, you're going to want what you couldn't have. So, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, a psychological process that we have to work through as well um, on your journey with intuitive eating. That is actually one of my current biggest fears is um, like, you know, I, I'll be really good about not binging and by not binging, I probably end up going the path of restrictive eating. Um, and then when I have, you know, like one brownie, it scares me because I'm like, I'd rather not eat ice cream or brownie or any like of the sugar stuff for weeks at a time and I can manage, but then you eventually reach your breaking point. And when I reach my breaking point, like one is not enough. I'll then just go ham, you know, for the next two weeks, I'll be eating so much sugar and not even like I want it. I will, as I'm doing it, realize that I'm stuffing this in my body and I'm not enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to the psychological factor is, you know, you play this game essentially of all or nothing or black or white, you know, either you're on or you're off train or the track or however people refer to it as and you know it's really trying to uplift those rules that you know the diet mentality places on you and you know because once the food becomes you know available to you meaning you have literally given yourself unconditional permission to eat and you believe that then a lot of that binging 
um, that you've been, that you just described goes away. You know, it subsides because you know, you can have that brownie and after one or two bites, if you feel like it's not desirable, it's okay. You know that you can stop because it's going to be there later for you to eat or, you know, you don't have to eat three or four, all of them now. So you can start over tomorrow because it's not, you're not starting over. You know, it's really deconstructing all of those diet mentality rules that you've been taught for so long that we really don't realize how much they drive our behaviors around food and our bodies. Yeah, I found that especially my, um, you know, love-hate relationship with food has also been linked to exercise in the sense that um, if I'll eat something that I consider bad, then I will automatically go into first the shame spiral of, oh my God, I ate it. Why did I do it? And then I probably put on weight. And then also I should go and work it off. You know, like I should go to the gym, sweat it all out. But the reality is, is even if you spend an hour on the treadmill, you're not gonna, you know, maybe you'll get 200 of the 3000 calories that you just ate. (laughs) You know, it's not actually going to do anything. So not only was like my food, um, my, my, um, attitude with food like I was feeling miserable with it but also with exercise but I had a really like eye-opening moment last week which I thought was so cool um I went to a hot yoga class and then I came back and there was like a fresh um pan of brownies that had just been made and at first I saw it and I I wanted one and I was like oh you just worked out do you really like you know you just sweated so much out do you really want to do that and I was like no fuck it and I had a brownie and I had only one, you know, I didn't go and have like four in one go. I had one. And then even after having one, the shame was coming back. And then I was like, no, I told myself, you know what? You're not going to feel guilty about this. This is just one brownie. And, you know, you went to hot yoga for a new experience because you like sweating and it feels good to move your body, not because you were trying to like sweat something off or trying to exercise so that you could eat. Like I just realized that we don't exercise so we can eat and we don't exercise because we ate. And that at the end of the day, a brownie is just a brownie. It's the shame and other stuff that makes it a lot more than that. So it was just one moment, but it was so like clarity. Monumental. Yeah. It felt so huge. And since then I've been able to like go to the cinema and actually buy popcorn and enjoy the popcorn without feeling like utter utter shit you know because the last Mm -hmm. time I've gone to the cinema I just don't buy cinema food anymore because there's just so much shame around it that cinema food is nothing but junk which okay sure in a way it is but like you're going to the cinema why can't you enjoy the entire experience yeah absolutely and I love what you said about exercise because it's so true you know we don't we don't use exercise as a form of respecting our body and, and honoring our body's capabilities. Um, and we look at it as a form of punishment for the, th- the things that we ate, or we look at it as a tool to be able to eat things, you know, g- giving ourselves permission to eat things. And we don't realize that some people don't have the ability to move our bodies in the ways that, you know, we do. So uh, we really don't honor our bodies in that way. Um, and, you know, that's something that needs to be worked out two on your journey with intuitive eating but yeah if you the diet mentality steals so much of your life you you know it's a great example with the cinema food and you know you are you how many moments of your life do you sit back and think well you you see somebody else doing something you want to do and you're like i'll do that when i'm skinny i'll do that when i lose weight 
you know, I'll find a boyfriend when I lose weight. I will have my dream job when I get my shit together. Uh, you know, you have all these types of thoughts and they all come back to your body and you think that you can control it and get to where you want your body to be with food and exercise. And really all you're doing is stealing your life away. And I, it's, it's so disheartening to see women still living in that life. And, and I, my hope is to help people out of that way of living and into the type of living that is so freeing and, and, you know, just feeling good in your body, which whatever that means to them. And I'm so glad to hear that you're starting down that path of, of realizing that your life is being stolen by diet culture and, and you're taking back control. So I love that. Yeah. I used to literally have a whole suitcase full of clothes that I kept that, you know, I would buy new things. Um, I went through a period where I lost a lot of weight drastically. And then, you know, I bought a bunch of like clothes that fit my new body. And then I fell into a deep depression. And then I put all that weight back on and more also really fast. So like for every 10 kilos, I'd have to buy like newer, new clothes, looser mm -hmm. clothes that would fit. And every time I would go up in size, I would save the old clothes. I'd put them in a suitcase and be like, I only wore these two or three times. So for years, I was torturing myself with this suitcase full of like gorgeous, pretty clothes. Like, okay, when I lose weight, then I can wear it. When I lose weight, then I can enjoy it. And a year ago, I was just like, this is not working. Because the reality is, is even if I do lose the weight, those clothes are four years old. They're not going to be in fashion anyhow. And, you know, right. having it just sit there was torturing me. And after that, um, you know, plus size panel event, I came home and I really thought about it. And I realized, and I was like, yeah, I have been living my whole life waiting for the, you know, to lose weight. And then I can have fun or I can feel good about myself or I can, like you said, date because in our culture, there's like arranged marriages. So even with that, there was a level of shame. Like I would use, I would joke about my fatness to make myself feel better. Like my sister is very slim and, you know, mm -hmm. even though I don't want to be, you know, in an arranged marriage, all the suitors would come for her because she was like the ideal, you know, body type and other factors as well. Yeah. And um, no one would come and ask for my hand. So I would joke it off as like, oh, huh, it's okay. It's because I'm fat anyway. So, you know, but it doesn't mean that even if it's not something you're interested, interested in, that it doesn't hit you like, oh, shoot. Um, Absolutely. It's like rejection. Yeah. I mean, the stigma is definitely there and you can find it and, and around any corner. And, and clearly I love that example because it, it, you know, obviously it doesn't judge cultures even. So it, everybody is a potential victim of diet culture. Absolutely. And you don't even realize how normalized it is. There are like one of my cousins recently, she got married and she's, you know, she has a baby on the way, but when she got engaged, um, the first thing out of you know, people's mouths were like, in my family, like in my immediate family, the first thing out of like my parents' mouths was like, oh, she's on the big side too. And she got married. So you, maybe you can get married too. And I, oh my God, like things what? like hearing things like that. Yes. They just astonish me. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I do know how we came to this point in, in the world where it's amazing to us when women in larger bodies can do things that women in smaller bodies can do. I mean, we're human. That's what it boils down to is we're capable, strong women. And it doesn't matter what our body looks like. We can do those things. And yeah, I mean, if you, if, if someone's not hearing that story and not thinking, Oh my God, and seeing what's wrong with that, 
Yeah. I would love to have a conversation with them so I can help enlighten them. It's, it's so normalized. I mean, they're so used to telling us what to do or judging us on everything. Like when I was 12, I cut my hair short and they were like, my grandmother, she was like, you're, uh, why did you cut your hair short? Men like long hair and thick hair. And I was like, I'm 12. What the heck? <laughs> and yeah. that it was the, you know, your overweight thing. And then on top of that, very recently it was, you know, um, I got all, got my diagnosis about anxiety and depression, like a little over a year and a half ago. And I started advocating for it. I started writing poetry about it. I wrote a whole book about it. I do open mic performances about it. And what my mom was telling me was, um, don't talk about it too much. Don't say it too loudly because then you're not, no one's going to want to marry you on top of the obvious issues. Cause she was saying the weight, <gasps> you can't hide the weight, but you can hide the mental illness. And I'm like, really? Oh my. And this, the, the thing is we all suffer from different issues. You know, you're definitely not the only person in the world who suffers from you know, anxiety and, and various mental illnesses. And that's the problem is that we're hiding it and we're not talking about it and we're making it, um, you know, like you said, we're, we're making things that should be okay to talk about like mental illnesses and, and eating disorders and, and whatnot. We should be talking more about them and making those normal. And then, you know, things, things like being skinny and only having to be skinny and things like that, that, are normalized, but they're so wrong, we need to make those shameful. And the thing is, think about where we are now. If we don't do something, we're only going to make things worse. And, and honestly, it's like hearing that story is, don't you realize that the bigger problem would be is that if there was someone to come into our life in that situation and they would not want me for said reasons, it's like, why would you want someone like that for your daughter? That's the bigger issue. Yeah. Not about whether or not they would accept me, accept me. It's like, why would I accept someone like that? And it's like, even if you hide the mental illness a year in, or even like six months, no, two weeks into dating somebody or being engaged or whatever, they're going to find out you're going to have a panic attack or something. You know, you can't hide that shit. And it's not worth it because I've lived so long in the shadows in shame that it actually, so for me, lying or hiding these things um just feeds into this like feeling like crap it's being honest and living in truth is like a matter of survival for me it's like what I have to do yeah it's it's liberating I mean when you it's hard at first I I can attest to that it's very challenging but I tell people when they ask me well how do you do it how do you live into your authentic self and just be vulnerable is yeah it's scary as hell but the after feeling and you know you feel so much more free after you just get it all out and you know hearing your story I mean as a parent to a daughter how do I look at that and hear that story and I think how can you tell your daughter that you're not even accepting of her because if you think somebody else isn't going to be accepting of her of xyz reasons then in a way you're saying I don't accept you and the only reason that I do accept you is because you're my biological daughter. Yeah. <laughs> it surprises me that people yeah. love things like that or abuse as abuse. It's like, it's love, but like, it's not love if there's limits and conditions and expectations. Mm -hmm. No, love is supposed to be unconditional. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast.
I enjoy it. It was really great.